Well, we've been doing a series on Mount Zion, uh, and the first message uh, was there's a battle to get Mount Zion. We looked at the, how they had to overcome the Jebusites, and then last Sunday we looked at more battles that they had to face after David came to Zion. There were the battles of the Philistines, and the Philistines came against them, and we saw how that the first time they came, God gave David a certain strategy, and the second time they came, which was very similar, but David was not presumptuous, but he waited on the Lord, and God gave him a different strategy that time. And so this morning we're continuing on, and I want to, I want to look this morning at four qualifications for ascending up to Mount Zion. And it's in the familiar, familiar psalm, Psalm 24, the wonderful psalm, about the glory of God. And in this beautiful psalm, written by David, at the time when he was moving the Ark of the Covenant, it is thought that he wrote this, this lovely psalm at the time when he was moving the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obededom to its resting place in Mount Zion. And uh, during the time of the previous king, Saul, they did not inquire at the, at, at the Ark. And the Ark was kept in place called Kyrgyz Jerem in, in Judea. And David tried, first of all, to bring the ark back, but he didn't follow the instructions. He didn't do things right, and it ended, ended up in disaster. And a man by the name of Uzzah, he was struck down dead. But then David did it the correct way, and they came up holding the, with the Levites, uh, holding the, the ark, which was on, on poles, and carrying the ark up. And the, the, the second time, it was, it was successful. They brought it from the house of Obadidim where it had been left, and they brought it up with great rejoicing, with dancing, with music, with cymbals, with, with, with tremendous praise. And they brought the ark up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And there the glory of God was there. And that ark was under a tent, and it was known as David's tabernacle. So this ark came to Zion. The ark came to Zion. It was placed in an open tent. And we can read about it in 2 Samuel 6 and in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. But in Psalm 24 and verse 3, Psalm 24 and verse 3, it says, Who will ascend? The psalmist, he asked the question, Who will ascend? Who will go up? Who will go up higher? Who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? And we know that that hill, it's the holy hill of the Lord. It is Mount Zion. And David says, who shall stand? Who shall stand in his holy place? And so then the answer comes back in the next verse. And we see the four qualifications for, or four, four, four qualifications. There's, there's many more, but four of them are, you know, who shall... Verse 3, verse 4, it says, He that has clean hands. He that has clean hands, that's the first qualification. The next one is, He that hath a pure heart. And then the third one, Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. And then the fourth one there, Who has not sworn deceitfully. Who has not sworn deceitfully. So the context of this psalm is ascending into the hill of the Lord. And we know that Mount Zion is God's holy hill. 
And this psalm speaks, it speaks of the Lord as the King of glory, as the King of glory. It says, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And it continues on. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. You know, the Lord is mighty in battle. He is the, the Lord of hosts. He's mighty in battle. He wants to bring victory after victory after victory. And, and verse 9, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. The King of glory shall come in. We want the King of glory to come into our sanctuary. We want the King of glory to come in. We want to know his presence. We want to know his presence increasing in our midst more and more. And the psalmist says, he said, lift up your hearts, O ye gates. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And then there's the promise, the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, the Lord who's a warrior, the Lord who is mighty in battle, the Lord who will fight for us, the Lord who will help us in our battles. He is the King of glory. He is the King of glory. So, verse 4, and it gives us there four of the qualifications to ascend, to go up his holy hill. And all of those four are very important if we're going to go deeper, if we're going to go up Zion's hill, if we are going to win Christ, if we are going to go on to maturity and perfection. And so the first one that is mentioned, he that hath clean hands, clean hands, clean hands. What do our hands speak of? Our hands speak of the things that we, we do. We do many things with our hands. We're always using our hand. We do many things. But our, and our hands speak you know, of, of service. And God wants our hands to be used for the glory of God. God wants in our service. He has, he, has a, he has a ministry for each one of us. He has a purpose for our lives. And, you know, he wants our hands to be kept away from evil, but our hands to be used for blessing, our hands to be used for doing good, and for our hands, you know, to be used, you know, to fulfill the will of God in our lives. So... Our hands must be pure. Our hands must be clean. Job 17 verse 9 tells us, The righteous also shall hold on his way. And he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. If we have clean hands, we become stronger and stronger and stronger. So we must, there's a thought there, we must have keep our hands from doing evil works. You know, many people in today's society, their hands are full of evil, and evil works. Psalm 26, verse 10, it says, In whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. You know, God hates bribery. You know, some can't, countries can't function you know, without, without bribery, bribery, bribing for everything. 
Isaiah 1.15, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I will not hear. Because it says your hands, your hands are full of blood. When Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands crucified and slain. They were wicked, evil hands that killed the Lord Jesus, that, you know, that nailed him to the cross, that crucified him, that, slay, that you know, he was slain. When Paul writes to the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 4, 28, he says, let him that stole steal no more. They'd now been saved. They'd now been filled with the Holy Spirit. They were going on for the Lord. And their lifestyle was different. And so Paul, he just exhorts them again as he writes to them. Those of you who stole and used your hands for evil, don't steal anymore. Use your hands for good. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he might, that he might have to give to those in need. You know, one of the reasons, important reasons for working is not just to provide our needs, but so that we would have and be able with our hands to do good and bless others as well. We would have the hands to give, working with his hands the things which is good, that he would have, he, he would have finance or whatever, have to give to him that has need. So Paul's, he's exhorting them, he's encouraged them, work with your hands so that they provide for yourselves and so those hands are able to give to others. Sadly today, many use their hands just to enrich themselves, but not to give. But there's always great blessing in giving, tremendous blessing in giving. We give. Jesus said, it'll be given unto us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give back into your bosom. You know, one of the visions that Sister Bailey had, and one time she saw, you know, many hands lifted up, many hands lifted up. But most of them, were black hands, the color was like, like black. But there was a few who had like white, seemed like white gloves on, and there were white hands, you know, reaching out to the Lord. Many hands were lifted up and were praising God. Some hands had white gloves, others black. Now it's good to lift your hands and praise, and I encourage you, I encourage you, if you don't do it, I encourage you, lift up your hands as you praise the Lord. You know, we're lifting up our hands to the Lord. like a, And that lifting up of hands in every nation of the world, I think that's a sign of surrender. And we're surrendering, you know, to the Lordship of Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our boss. He's our master. And so we want to lift up, you know, holy hands to the Lord. And we want to lift our hands in praise and in worship. But, but those hands lifted up, they're only acceptable to God if our hands are clean, if our hands are clean. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, it says, Whatsoever 
thy hands find to do. Whatever your hands find to do. Speaking of good things, you know, do it. Do it with your might. Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your might. For there is no work, no device, no knowledge, no wi nor wisdom in the grave where you are going. And Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16, there's a scripture there, and it speaks about the three main feasts of the Lord. And three times a year, all the, they, they had to come to, to Jerusalem, and they came to Jerusalem, and they came to Mount Zion, and it was in the three major feasts, the feasts of Passover, which we looked at, a little bit I mentioned this morning, or unleavened bread, which is the seven days immediately following Passover. So there was the feast of the unleavened bread. Then there was the feast of weeks, and that, that was the feast of Pentecost. And then there was the feast of tabernacles on the seventh month of the year. And on those occasions, they were not allowed to come empty-handed. They did not. They were that last bit. They were. They were. They do not appear before the Lord empty. That and in the margin it says empty-handed. In other words, they were to come. They had a sacrifice. They were to offer unto the Lord. They would come and they'd bring that lamb or that young goat or whatever, and and that would, it would be offered to the Lord. Their hands would be filled. Filled. Their hands would come. You know, to offer, to to present. You know, to the Lord, and so. They were not to appear empty-handed when they came to the three feasts of the Lord. And spiritually, those feasts represent salvation. When we offer, what are we going to offer to the Lord? And that could speak, you know, those that we have led to the Lord in salvation, or those that we've witnessed to. We've witnessed to someone, we've given a track, we've, we've done some, one step along the way. And so as we do that, there's rewards. And we can, we can present with our hands to the Lord when we go to be with the Lord. Those who, you know, we've helped to come to the Lord in some way. You're not empty-handed, but we have our hands to, to present to the Lord. And then those, you know, at the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, you know, those that, you know, we've, we've told about the Holy Spirit or we've witnessed about the Holy Spirit. Or we've prayed for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've helped them, you know, come into this wonderful experience. And then, you know, at that feast, our hands are going to be full and we're going to present, you know, those people to the Lord. And then there's the main feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast in the seventh month, the feast of when the great harvest was gathered in. And that speaks you know, of encouraging people not just to stay at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but to go on, to go deeper, and to encourage people in righteousness, encourage people in holiness, encourage people, you know, to go on to maturity. And as we do that, and, and to go on to, to, to deeper things, as we teach those things, we're presenting, we can present that, you know, to the Lord. When we go to be with the Lord, how we've helped others, you know, go on, into maturity and go on in the Lord. So God wants each of us, you know, to have, you know, to come, to come with hands that are full and and, and we can present those hands to the Lord. And the, the, the those who are those who in, in those areas of those three main feasts. Alright, the second one is a clean clean hands and then a pure heart. Number two, a pure heart. Matthew 5, verse 8, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure 
in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Philippians 4 and verse 8. And Paul said, whatsoever things, whatsoever things are pure. And then he says to the Philippians, think, think on these things. Think on these things. And after David had committed that terrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba, it was quite some time after that, but then he wrote Psalm 51, and that's a psalm of repentance about his sin. And in Psalm 51 and, and verse 10, we read these words, create in, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. A clean heart and a right spirit within me. And, you know, it would have been good if David had prayed that, you know, before he fell. But create in me a clean heart. And it's a good prayer for us to pray. It's a good prayer for us to pray daily. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart. And, you know, God wants us. If we're going to go up the hill of the Lord, Mount Zion, the Lord is holy. He wants purity in our lives. He wants us to have a, not just clean hands, but, clean, but a clean heart, a clean heart. And Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, speaking about the, he speaks about the new covenant and in verse 26 and verse 27. And it says, the, the, the Lord, he promises, he promises to give us a new heart. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I'll put within you. He'll take away the stony heart, Take away the hard heart and give a heart of flesh. And when James, the Apostle James, is going over the seven pillars of wisdom, the very first one that he mentions in James 3.17, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, is first pure. And if we're going to go that holy hill, the holy hill of Zion, and to have an ever-increasing presence of Jesus. There must be purity in our lives. You know, Jesus said that this, he, speaking about his generation, he said this generation was an adulterous and a sinful generation. Mark eight thirty-eight, And if that was the case in Jesus' time, I mean, our generation, you know, is, a, is an adulterous and sinful generation. Probably far worse than the generation when Jesus was speaking. How much more today? I mean, everywhere, everywhere. You know, there's filth, there's immorality. Teen high school, teen pregnancies, kids having babies, changing sexes. Lesbian relationships, homosexual relationships, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people involved in all kinds of pornography, TV, all kinds of rubbish being there, computers and people on their computers and on their phones, cell phones, you know, connecting up to, you know, horrific stuff, all kinds of, 
you know, terrible, terrible pornography, enslaving people, and even the advertising and so many things. I mean, everywhere you go, it's an adulterous and a sinful generation. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, God can give us the grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live pure and clean lives. If we call on the Lord, if we cry out to him, and we do, we need, to, we need to cry out to God and pray that prayer David prayed. Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And we need to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Keep your hearts with, for, with all diligence, for out of it, out of it are the issues of life. Out of our hearts are the issues of, of life. And it's so important what we think on. In fact, that word in, in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. Actually, a, a better translation would be mind, mind. And there's, there's not actually a Hebrew word for mind, but there is for heart. So often when it's talking about the mind, the translation you'll see, it'll mention the heart. But, you know, God, God wants our minds to, be, think, to, to be, be clean, to be pure. And, you know, we can't stop thoughts coming into our mind, but we can stop feeding them. We can, we can block them. We can, we can recognize those thoughts coming in. You know, they're not of God. They're not of the Holy Spirit. They're of another spirit. And... As soon as we recognize that, we've got to resist Satan. And, you know, wrong thoughts. I rebuke you. I speak to you. Go. Leave. And, and it's a battle. It's a battle. And you have to keep on. And, it's, you know, some things, you don't just get the victory just like that. No, it's a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle. You've got to fight and fight and fight until God gives the breakthrough. So our minds are important. Our eyes are important. Proverbs 21 and verse 11, it says, He that loves purity of heart. You know, ask that question. Do you love purity of heart? He that loves purity of heart and his grace on his lips, it says the king, King Jesus, will be our friend. We want the Lord to be our friend. And he is the friend of those who go up his holy hill. But there must be purity of our, of our hearts. And another aspect of a pure heart, one aspect we've, we've been looking at is the moral aspect, but there's also the aspect of the motives of the heart. You know, why do we do what we do? You know, some people... You know, they maybe give money so that they can, you know, uh, you know, boast about it to others or da-da-da, how, how good a person they are. And, you know, people can do good things, but yet their motive is not right. Their motive is wrong. And, and you know, God is not pleased with that. And so God wants us, and it's, it's not just what we do, but why do we do what we do? In Revelation 21, 21, it tells us that the, in the heavenly city, the heavenly city, the heavenly Mount Zion, 
It's pure gold, pure gold, like transparent glass. But transparent glass, that is glass that there's no, there's no distortion. It's transparent, without distortion. But it, it's, it's costly and it's hard to produce because transparent glass, you've got you to heat it up and you've got to break it. Heat it up and break it. And there's breakings and there's grindings. And it's costly because it takes a long time and a lot of work to produce glass that is without distortion. And there's a verse in Job, Job 41.25. And it says, When he raises up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. And it is through many breakings, heating, breaking, heating, breaking, break. In other words, difficulties, trials that we go through, that we become transparent glass, having a pure heart, having a pure heart. And God wants each one of us, our hearts, to be transparent, you know, without distortion. Because then Jesus can flow through our lives. Jesus can flow through our lives. I just feel to stop there this morning, and we'll continue the, continue the rest of it another time. But I want us to stand and sing now, and, and then I want to come back and I want to pray.